0: This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family. Written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks.
1: I don't write nothing, I don't live. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. This is what we doing. This is what we doing today. Right
2: nothing. This is what we doing. I don't tonight. live. Okay.
3: Let's bro let's get into it. Is this it is, almost, <laughs> yeah, let's
2: get into it.
3: We need to start this because it's too much juice right now. It's too much. <laughs> we're giving away too much on the cutting room floor. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the mic Let's just let's just go. Let's just go into the readings and God bless. Listen natasha how you doing
1: i'm all right brother how are you good to see you
3: listen i just felt like we need to hop right into this because i feel the spirit of god on this conversation we have our friend our sister (laughs) someone we look up to someone who has blessed not only us personally but the organization of the witness and pastor mike natasha sister robinson is in the house natasha the author, the author times multiple Listen, five, six, seven. I goodness. can't keep up with all the books that you are writing. Listen. How has that season been? You're writing multiple, editing multiple books, writing yeah. devotionals, commentaries. Like, How has that been?
1: I'm finding writing is like therapy for me. And it's, mm. it's therapy I don't have to pay other people for. Praise God. <laughs> but I feel like um, for me, writing is like me and God having a conversation. Hmm. That's what it is, and so it's a it's a wrestling it's a question answering it's it's uh prayer it's um a lot of research I do a lot of research like I don't just write stuff and um uh, because I don't want to be held accountable for people erroring based on my opinions mm. yes. <laughs> Right. I don't want to have to give account for that. So when I am writing and I know this is a faith informed, theologically informed thing, I need to be able to go to the reference point, the primary resource that is the Bible (laughs) for people to know why I got to that conclusion. Right. Um, To walk them to a thing. So um, I wrote two books over the pandemic. One of them was my uh, Journey to Freedom, Discovering the God of Deliverance, Exodus Bible Study, which is really a layperson's commentary mm-hmm. about the book of Exodus. And so, um, you know, I'm glad to share about that. And then I wrote my first editing project, which is called Voices of Lament, uh, Reflections on Brokenness and Hope in a World Longing for Justice. And that book is... Uh, Twenty nine, counting myself, women of color, Mm. writing about justice and lament, um, based off of Psalm thirty seven, which talks about it's a Hebrew acrostic poem that talks about how God deals with the wicked and the righteous. And so I I wrote both of those on over the pandemic. They both were hard and rich experiences to
2: to participate in at the same time. So I just want to pause there and acknowledge. Oh my goodness! First of all, a bunch of work, but then. Editing a volume with over two dozen authors. Yes. But I also, what what, what really stuck out to me 29 women of color, you said. Yes. And that strikes me because they won't say it so much now, but they think in it, oh, we just can't find. Hmm. We just, there just aren't enough. Mm. How did you do it? and what does it say why why did you choose 29 women of color for this project on voices of lament
1: yeah so first of all i asked more uh 29 was able to say yes so i know more than 29 um so part of the reason like how you do it like i have relationship with people that's part of it um but the other part is um you know i think we have to be very intentional on in who we listen to and who we um see as leaders and who voice we think counts and um i've always been a person that thought women of color had important things to say like we are among our leaders, who appears, you know, regardless of your race or, or class or gender, um, and so I've always felt that way. And so when I had this opportunity, uh, it was, you know, it was a fairly easy process finding most of these women. Um, and I say most because I also think the ways the systemic structures are are working, even in the church, especially in the evangelical church, there are certain groups of people are, that are silenced. And so in this case, mm-hmm. it was harder for me to find indigenous women. Mm-hmm. Um, I have four of them. It was harder for me to find uh, Hispanic women um, because that's just like the, the the water we've been swimming in. And so um, I, I was very intentional in trying to have almost an equal representation of African-American women, um, Latino women, Asian-American women. Um, Indigenous women and what I call global citizens. So these may be women that are living in the U.S., but that is not their their cultural or historical Mm. reference. And so um, I was very, very excited to um, do that. And and we've been together building a community over the last two years. Wow, beautiful.
3: So this comes out of relationship as well that you've been building consistently over time. Yeah, which I think is very we can resonate with that
2: exactly. And you know what
3: comes out of that that grind of intentionally choosing to be in proximity to one another.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And it proves the point. Like there are talented people out there, in this case, writers who are people of color, women of color, but so much of it is intentionality. So, mm-hmm. so even with the relationships that you had, you had to be intentional about finding other representation, but what you're doing is proving the possible. So, right. I'm just right. so excited to be able to hold up voices of lament every time somebody says, well, there just aren't enough or right. we can't find them. Like, right. nope, here you go. Not working and, hard enough.
1: And I need to say, I think there's a theological piece to this. And then I think there's a um, redemptive element to it. Right. So the theological piece is that to some degree, the text determined. Uh, like how many people to invite. So uh, the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And so each of those letters, we have an essay. And for the essays, um, I asked the women to not only share their personal experience as it relates to the verses that they're writing about, but they all um, doing that in a cultural context of like, how has God been, you know, so I'm writing this at the same time, I'm writing Exodus. And so one of the things I'm thinking about in writing and reading Exodus is the faithfulness of God across generations. So God introduced introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is not by accident, right? And so I'm like, there are things. And then when he's setting up all these festivals for the people, he's saying, bring the women, the men, the children, um, um, the aliens or foreigners living among you and teach them these things. And you celebrate all these festivals so that they may know the Lord, the Lord's way, and remember that he's the one who brought you out of Egypt, right? And so there's this oral storytelling that is happening so that the generations don't forget who God is and what God has done, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking about that while I'm writing the the, the Exodus piece and, and I'm mean, at the Voices of Lament piece and editing that and inviting those women to walk in that faith to say, okay, can you share in your essay, not just your personal is- experience and testimony with God, because that's very Western. I want to hear how mm-hmm. God has been faithful to your people. How have your people seen mm-hmm. the goodness of God embodied in this text? And at the end of each of those essays, I want you to lift up a one-up of color from your generation that embodies, I mean, from your culture that embodies the text. And so what you're getting in this book is not just, you know, a commentary or essays. You're also getting several new sheroes, uh, women of color to look at that God has been faithful to over across generations. Um, it's also, uh, um, outlined in what we call strophes. Um, and so strophes mm-hmm. is kind of how the themes of the, of the, um, psalm go together. And so you have 22 verses, I um, mean 22 alphabets, but then you have like seven themes. And so each of those themes I have introduced by a poem or liturgy by a woman of color. So each people group has a representative poet um, um, there. and We know the beauty and the importance of art. And each of those poets or liturgists have introduced those trophies. And so that kind of led into how the book was outlined. And then we close. I felt um, because we had um, it was a very intergenerational work and a very multi that multicultural work on purpose, but also we had more older generations that I did Gen Z. And I wanted us to speak to the last, you know, to to the up and coming generation Gen Z. And so we closed the, the book with a poem for Generation Z. And what we did there because um, people don't know this. You're the first to get it. All right. So y'all the first yeah, to get let's it. Go, but let's go. what we did, you get the exclusive. But what we did was we all wrote our chapters, and then we shared those chapters with the young women in our lives. So in my case, it would have been like the the girls I'm mentoring through my nonprofit. So I, I had several of them read my chapter. And I said, just give me your reflections on what you read. Um, it doesn't have to be paragraphs, it doesn't have to be long. Give me a few words, phrases, or whatever. And they did that. And then our poets got together and collaborated and took those words from those young people. Right. And when they did that, they crafted a poem for Gen Z. Mm-hmm. So it's like us as the mothers, as the elders, as right. the aunties speaking to the next generation, giving them hope based on what we see in Psalm 37 about how God deals with the wicked and God how God deals with the righteous, right? And in doing that, um, they have become a part of the story as well. And so that was just really beautiful for us to do. And we have also exclusive Sho Baraka's wife, Patrice Lewis, has Mm -hmm. done illustrations in this book. And so um, she did a a customized piece for that particular poem. And in that piece, she incorporated the names of the young girls in Gen Z that provided us their feedback into her artwork. So it's just a beautiful um, book. I'm so proud of it. It's the most beautiful, broken thing I've worked on. My,
2: my, my. Why was, so we know that Putting together a book is a multi-year process. Yes. Um, why was lament an appropriate topic when you started, and why do you think lament is timely as the book is coming out?
1: So, Josemar, you, I mean, uh, Jamar, you—I mean, Jamar—you might not remember uh, a, a few years ago, you and I were on some kind of on virtual thing with an organization, and I was telling you about what I was gleaming from Jeremiah chapter nine. About what God said to the prophet, um, because they are weeping about Israel going into exile and whatever, uh, and it's a grievous thing that's happening. And God tells the prophet Jeremiah to call the wailing women. Mm-hmm. He said, call the most skillful of them, um, and have them wail over us and have them teach the, um, the generations how to wail and teach their daughters how to wail. And the question is for us as readers, so why are they wailing? And the word says that they're wailing because their men have been taken out of the public square and their children have been taken out of the streets and because death have climbed in through their windows, right? And I'm like, okay, so when I started thinking about this book, it's 2019, my family had moved into Alabama. And psychologically, you, I mean, y'all spend some time with me. I'm more normally like a very energetic, joyful, you know, loving life. And I was out of character because mm. psychologically I grew up in South Carolina as did my husband. And I'm like, the only place worse than South Carolina is Alabama. The only place worse than Alabama is Mississippi. <laughs> my husband got a job that called us to Alabama and I'm like, I don't belong here. This is not my place. This is mm-hmm. not my people. And I'm a very communal person. And so we were f- so far away from family and friends right. and I was, um I was struggling. And so by time, you know, 2020 come around and the pandemic hits and all the y'all start feeling all the things, the isolation, depression, anxiety, loneliness of that, like, that's where I was already at. Me and God were already wrestling through that. And my family was already wrestling through that. And so by the time we get into the summer of 2020, now we're in George Floyd summer, right? And so we have all these other things. And so at that time, I was reading through Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and I was reading through the Psalms. And so I landed on that Jeremiah passage, um, but I was confessing my way through Jeremiah because what I learned, I'm like a lot of the sins that Jeremiah raised, like were things that we were dealing with in our own culture. And I'm like, God is trying to get our attention. Like that was very clear to me. And and we don't have a good practice of corporate confession in our culture, um, but that's really what we will see in the Bible quite a bit. And so I was just kind of confessing my way through, like, God, be merciful to us. Like, forgive us for this foolishness. Like, make us not how we are in Jesus' name, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I taught to God. And I was doing that. And then landing on this passage, I, have, I had contributed to another uh, project that was similar. And I started calling a sister that worked on that project, that edited that project. And we kind of started praying. I'm like, I think God is wanting us to speak into the situation because women of color know how to have joy in the morning. M-O-U-R-N, right? We we know how to do that. We know how to lead in the dark. We know how to do that. And that's why the wailing women were called in Jeremiah because they already know, they skilled. They already got experience in the thing. Like generally women of color are not people that abandon God because things don't go our way. Mm -hmm. That's what white folks, you know, sometimes do, but that's not how we are postured. We are postured to know how to suffer (laughs) well because we have a suffering servant and we go to Jesus because where else we gonna go? right? That's how we live. And so I'm like, if anybody can lead a church, the American church through this dark space in this time of uncertainty, doubt, depression, uh, darkness, um, when people don't know what they're doing because they don't, it's us. And that's how this project came to be. Why I committed the time to it.
2: And it's such, you know, God's timing that even Several years later, when this project is ready for people to read, that topic of lament is still so pertinent and so relevant. For me, it feels like we need to have some sort of catharsis, right? We've been holding on to all this pain and grief that comes in so many different forms from, you know, black people getting killed and shot. It's captured on cell phone video to losing church members and family members to COVID-19 to just the increasing even economic insecurity, right? What do we do with all of that grief? And that is where this book I think is so helpful is it lets us, it's almost like singing the blues. It's about sad stuff, but when you let it out, especially artistically, or in this case, literarily, Mm -hmm. it's almost like a cleansing. So I just take a deep breath.
3: Yeah, and I think it's also very helpful that it's drawn from this particular psalm, which I think is so yeah. wise and um, so timely for where we are, is how God deals with the wicked and the righteous. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that piece is so important for us to understand. I think it seems to me like we have focused a little bit on either or category mm. and not on God's dealings with the categories. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I would love for you to talk about the choice there, because I feel like that particular Psalm carries with it such power. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also a helpful redirective for our focus. Okay. So we're going through all of this now let's direct our attention towards That's a great, <laughs> the great one topic. who deals with both categories, both groups.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Vengeance is mine says the Lord. I, and I think that, um, you know, I didn't choose the subtitle. I mean, of course I've, you know, I had a vote, but what was presented, you know, they say brokenness and hope. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's where we want. And for the people who had some advanced reader copies of it, were really taken aback by how difficult, um, the atrocities. I mean, y'all, there are things that I read and edited, you know, you're reading it once. I probably read 20, 30 times some of these things that just straight up broke, you know, broke me. Like, just like you just get so, um, sad or angry at the injustice, right? Um, a lot of which I knew, but some, there were a few surprises in there. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, this is, this is horrible. Um, but. What we see in the psalm is that God has the final, you know, God has the final say, and I think for us the reality is this is the truth. And I, I, I don't know how y'all feel. I look around, I survey the land sometime, and I'm like, it looks like the enemy winning. <laughs> look, look. <laughs> yeah, you, know, like, you know, I'm like, I look, I look around, like and I, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it looks like the enemy winning. And so the only thing, the only thing that doesn't Have me out here wilding out, you know, um, responding unjustly or violent in my anger Mm -hmm. or losing all hope, right? The only thing that prevents me from doing those things is knowing, believing, trusting, having faith that our God who is just and righteous is going to deal with all this in the end. Yes, absolutely. That's the only thing. And I think that's been
3: actually harder to, can I be honest? I feel like that's been harder to believe. Yeah. As I feel like I have focused so much on the new disruptions and the new distractions of the day.
2: pass the mic. We appreciate you.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing the kind that comes after painful trauma grieve breathe receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold visit thomasnelson.com/audio to learn more
3: i feel like and and, and maybe there's a connection here but I feel like the more I'm on social media, uh, yeah. <laughs> the more I'm, I'm listening to like the, the news, news, the more yeah. I'm saying, and it's, it's weird because it's almost like you have to, because you're, this is your job to comment on these things. And then there's this other side that says, I, I literally sat back. I, I want to say it was a couple of months ago. And I was like, is this even real? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it real? And and it's very, you know, like a lot of people like what, like how are you good? you doing all this and you, do? but really you get to that place where you start to believe the voices of culture, you start to believe the voices that you can hear and the things that you can see, more than the overarching reality, and sure. I think more people than what we know fluctuate between this moment of despair and brokenness and say, I don't even know if. God is gonna come through, right?
1: So I I don't. (laughs) Let Let me let me say this. Let me say this first. First of all, I think it's important that people that we live with, love with, serve our neighbors. Right, hear leaders and pastors be honest about their wrestling. I think that's very important. Right. So let me just honor that. Um, And so let me switch over to my text. Right. So I'm teaching Exodus tonight. I'm going to be doing a lot of teaching in Exodus, the journey to freedom. And so just going over again, you know, all of our chapters between like verse five and 11, where all these plagues are happening. So this is, um, you know, um, it's like a sparring match of unequal components between Pharaoh and God. Right. Yeah. And so here, here's the thing like, Pharaoh does have power, right? Pharaoh has power over a certain territory. Pharaoh has power over the Israelites as their master. He has power over the Egyptians. He has power over his officials. So that means he has political power. Um, he has uh, power over the economy. He has wealth, right? He has power to name. He has power to craft narratives. Like, Pharaoh does have power. That's true. The problem is, though, and I write about this in my memoir, Sojourner's Truth, um, where I chart my life alongside Moses in the Exodus narrative. The problem is, is that we like Pharaoh thinks that he has more power than he actually does. And the problem is that we actually believe him. So Pharaoh doesn't have unlimited power and Pharaoh is not an equal um, partner or opposite of God. Mm. Right. Pharaoh is a created being. And so the Egyptians thought that he was divine by by sheer title. Right. But the reality is that Pharaoh is not divine. And that's what this whole, um, you know, plague situation is about is that God is saying, I'm going to show you that mm. I am God alone. Besides me, there is no other. Mm. Right. I'm going to show you, I'm going to reach out my outstretched arm and show you the mighty acts of God. I'm going to show, and I'm going to prove to Israel and the Israelites that, because here's the thing, God says, in the text, like, I could have just wiped you out a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But the reason he doesn't is that God needs to teach and train the people to let them know that I am the Lord and besides me, there is no other. And so the challenge we have in a world that's so noisy is that if we're listening to the noise more than we're listening to God, then we start to believe the noise, which is lies and distractions and deceit.
2: So with this other book, this other text...
1: Did, yeah. Were they intended to be companions?
2: Because they really yeah. go very well.
1: <laughs> they they weren't. But they weren't. But but uh, they weren't. But again, the themes are the you know the themes are you know what I'm saying the same. In my mind, my journey to freedom Exodus Bible study is a companion to Sojourner's truth. Right. right. So so I could tell you. So what happened with that? I wrote Sojourner's truth. I basically charted my life. And um, alongside Moses and the Exodus journey, right, which gave me a chance to talk about the history of black people in America. And the mega narrative is God's redemptive story. Right, and so I did that, and so I start. I wrote that book. It didn't come out until the end of two thousand eighteen, but I wrote it in two thousand seventeen. But in two thousand seventeen, most of my Bible reading—I mean, I read other stuff in the Bible, but most of my Bible reading was reading the first five books of the Bible multiple times in multiple translations. So probably six or seven, you know, times in different translations, just taking it real slow, you know, you know, meticulous notes and those types of things. And I got to a point. Um, because, I mean, you, you know, Jamar, you've written books, Tyler, you wrote written certain, certain things that I'm basically aligning a life event of mine up to a life event of Moses, right? Which means there's a lot of stuff you can't put in the book. It just gets cut. But I had all this homework that I had done uh-huh. and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's still so much here that not just God was speaking to me because to your point of preparing a sermon, Tyler, that's how I prepare. That's how I prepare to talk. But it's also how I write books. It's like, I'm digging into this, you know, this is hours and hours and books and books of research and study. You're getting, you know, 200 pages of something that I've read thousands of pages of content, Mm -hmm. you know, or whatever. And so I had all this homework and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's more. I think there's more here, not that God is singing. I know God is always saying more, but that I can share and present that's contextualized um for. Real people on the street, not academic conversations that nobody care about, but the people who in the eye Eiffel Towers, but the people on the street need to hear the stuff that I was studying about how God was revealing himself to these people that were enslaved, not by choice, that had, had narratives crafted about them that were not true. And God's saying, I'm going to pull you out of that and I'm going to make you a holy people. And this is going to be your life going forward, that I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And that's how this study came about
2: it stands out to me that in both of these books uh the books that you chose to focus on in them are in the old testament yeah and i wonder if there's yeah, significance yeah. to that especially as we look at yeah. sort of eurocentric and white american theologies yes
1: <laughs> you know i hadn't i hadn't thought about that i will say um for the exodus bible study more so um i do in with the gospel message because, you know, a good black preacher going to yeah, end like, when he oh, got wait, up, you know he got, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he got, you he, know, he got up, you know, but for me, this is what I would say that for you to be a faithful New Testament believer, you have to have the context and understanding of the Old Testament. So this is my point that when G, when God is laying out um, the tabernacle and the priesthood in the Old Testament, If you don't understand that, you don't have a significance for understanding Jesus being our high priest. And you don't have a significance for understanding Jesus being the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have a significance for understanding what it means for us to be the tabernacle or church of God. And you (laughs) don't have an understanding for what the significance of us being the royal priesthood of God. And here's the thing. This is what I'm going to tell you, Jamar, doctor. This is the problem. I believe in the West, we have a New Testament church with an Old Testament practice theology. In other words, oh. we have set up the church too often, the building now, I'm talking about not the body or the organism, the building um, as a tabernacle where the pastor is the priest. Mm. Mm. where everybody is waiting for the pastor to give them a word from the Lord and the pastor to tell them what to do. And the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, and I love pastors, but the problem is, is that Jesus has become our great high priest. He is perfect in every way that the Levitical priests were not, that Jesus does not at any point have to make a sacrifice for himself because he is without spot, blemish, or sin. And when Jesus died on that cross, the veil was torn, the Mm -hmm. word says. Right. And when that veil is torn, that now we all have equal access and right to the father because of the righteousness of our great high priest. Yes. And so the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to enter the throne of grace to receive mercy. That is ours because we have been covered by the blood. And so even though I'm writing by the Old Testament, you better understand I'm a New Testament believer, right? And I <laughs> have hope because I understand the Old Testament better, right? And I'm always studying that Old Testament. And this is the thing that anchors me, yeah. right? Because again, when this world is hard and doesn't make sense, right? I need to know. Yes. That there's a, there is the priest that has made an ult- ultimate sacrifice that's been perfect and that's been accepted by our father so that i can be made right with god
3: yes pull on this thread about church mm. you started it so we got to go new down to new old testament, testament church new testament practice old testament practice yeah and yeah i think what has been your story and you know especially as you talk about voices of lament Is highlighting the voices that because of the old testament practice have been silenced. Yeah. And have been silenced not just by majority culture, but then also by our individual churches of color. Yeah. Who have a very pastoral, and I say this as
1: a patriarchal.
3: Patriarchal, like pastor centric, very, you know. Honors society, like very strange, like approach to elevating the um, man of God with a D. I'll
2: just, <laughs> I'll just put a little historical element into this in terms of U.S. history. It is so striking to me that the pastor and the man typically who filled that role in Black history was a multi-hyphenate man. Mm -hmm. He was a real estate investor, a a politician, a lawyer, uh, you name it. He was a leader in all aspects of the community virtually, and then also had this role, this spiritual role as not simply shepherding. I would almost even say the emphasis was on the speaking for or on behalf of mm-hmm. God such that you didn't cross the man of God, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it it is this really wow. interesting historical element because not everyone in the community was able to access the resources to make sure. them literate, uh, well-spoken in certain ways, uh, yeah. leaders in different areas. And so when you found that person... Well, they were lifted up as, you know, this is this is the aspiration. This is the best of us, right? I'm not saying that was right. I'm just saying this is the yeah. some of the history.
3: And 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 it's dangerous now. Like I think it's so dangerous to place that weight and burden upon someone. That's right. And as a pastor, I look at that and say, I don't <laughs> <laughs> the real estate agents and the lawyers and the teachers yeah. and the politicians and the advocates. And and stay in my role, stay in my right, lane, right, you know. Right. And yeah. and I think you know, Natasha. I want to hear your perspective yeah. on how the church should approach these topics: lament, grief, brokenness, hope, mm-hmm. journeying to freedom. Because you are writing, and you are writing in a direction, and yeah. you are writing in a direction that the church should pay attention to and glean from. Yeah. So, what does the church need to hear today? From From this pastorally, yeah, pastorally, (laughs) because you, you just touched on, you just pulled a whole thread open for me. What does the church need to hear today? And the leaders within the church need to hear about what is missing from
1: the discipleship
3: that you see right now?
1: So I would say, I try to be um, consistent in leading out of my convictions, so what that means for me is a few things. One, um, being a person of integrity, um, two partnering, having men and women partnering together to advance the kingdom of God. That's you know, the Lausanne Covenant has a has a statement, um, the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Mm-hmm. So men and women partnering to advance the kingdom of God. I I'm I'm pretty intentional. Um, I think that's, that's necessary. Um, Trying to become a better um, citizen in um, multi-ethnic work. And I'm not talking about multi-ethnic church. Mm. I mean, being the people who honor and believe that when we get together in heaven, God is going to draw people from all languages, nations, and people groups. And that also then means for me as a Westerner that I need to be humbly attentive and learning from the global church. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of our most grievous um, things in the West that we think because we have more money and more education and more Mm -hmm. books that because we make a theological point or decision or political stand that somehow we write just because we have the power to name. whereas the church is still growing and booming in the East and particularly in Asia and Africa. And they have uh, some, sometimes they have a lot less than what we have and people leaving the church here. So why are we still private thinking we got it all together? So I'm saying to be a a more global uh, multi-ethnic citizen. And I have a pretty strong conviction, um, especially now, I I think I've always had, but especially now, um, part of it's because of how I was raised and that we need to be very intentional in our intergenerational work. Yes. Yeah. And so I think we've lost one, maybe two generations of young people because our elders have failed to teach. Our elders have failed to uh, mentor. I, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just saying, if you're doing it, I'm not talking to you. OK, but I'm saying that what I see, it, it, because my first book is about intentional discipleship, right. mentor for life about intentional discipleship. And I'm telling you for someone who, since I became a believer in college has been very intentional in mentoring and discipling and um, teaching the word of God to people across that vein, this is what I see. Mm. And so I think the challenge is, cause I think we got a lot of pa- pastor in name that know how to preach.
3: But they don't know how to shepherd. Absolutely.
1: They they don't know how to shepherd. I think we have a lot of people who can preach and exegete or exegete a passage, but can't lead people. Mm -hmm. I think we have a whole bunch of people who might know how to preach, but lack empathy or love for those that they're called to serve. Mm -hmm. And the Bible talks about this, that we need shepherds. Jesus said in his parable, we need shepherds and not hired hands. Right. If you're going to be a hired hand, you don't need to be in the pulpit, sir or ma'am. Right. And so I think there are all kind of ways that for me, I've been biblically biblically convicted as a as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus and as a leader first. And therefore, I choose to lead in a certain way because I've been biblically convicted as a disciple first. Right. And I will say this last point is part of the reason I write the way I do, Tyler, is because I am a woman who hasn't always had the privilege yes. to go into the room or be in the pulpit or serve at a church. And, and I don't feel that's my calling in life. But my point is those natural avenues for a man mm-hmm. um, were not always available and, and still today have not always been available to me. And so my obedience in the call that's on my life is, OK, I have to exercise what I have control over, uh, you know, which is my pen. I can do that. Like nobody's preventing me and restricting me from doing that, and I have to trust that when I'm obedient and saying yes to that, that God's going to put that work into the hands of the right people to do the things that He would have it, you know, do because God's word is not going to return to Him void.
3: Yes,
2: yes, such a good word.
1: Talk a little bit
3: about how you are approaching. You're approaching this from a biblical standpoint and you're leaning into the Bible. And both of these are intensely biblical devotionals and commentaries and reflections and talk about the importance of biblical literacy and why this is so major, because there's a lot of things we could talk about and you could write about with, with confidence, but you chose to, to center on scripture. And you've mentioned even just in your previous answer, being biblically convicted Talk about biblical literacy and what you're seeing in terms of approaching and being familiar with the text and and why that is so important right now.
1: Yeah, um, it's grievous. The lack of biblical literacy is grievous, Mm. right? Um, And so for me, I remember a few years ago, I committed to reading the Bible all the way through. So I've, I've read the Bible all the way through multiple times. But what I say, like I'm not legalistic about it, right? So every year I would say, oh, I'm gonna read the Bible all the way through. Now, there have been a few years where I've done that. There's been years though, um, where I haven't done that. But if I say in my mind, I'm gonna do that, what I know for sure is I'm gonna read more scripture than not. Sure. Right. Right. So even even if so, even if I don't, you know, I might get halfway through. I might get a third of the way through. But I'm saying if I don't say in my mind, this is important priority for my life this year, then, you know, then you go days and days and days without even picking it up. Right. And so for me. Again, when I am in the word to me, God is ministering to me through the word. So I have something that I can bounce all the other words off of. Yes. But if I don't know the word, you know, it's kind of like you've heard old saying, like if you have people that's dealing with counterfeit money, they don't deal with a whole bunch of counterfeit money. They get very familiar with the real bill. Mm -hmm. And once you know the intricacies of the real bill, then you can spot the things that's wrong in a counterfeit. But I don't spend a whole bunch of time dealing with fake money, which has no value. Right. I need to know what the real thing is. And so to me, that's the importance of, of of understanding the Bible, that one, I believe that God is speaking to me through it. Right. It is the inspired word of God. It is the trustworthy word of God. It's a thing that I can it's the truth that I can com- compare whether I'm getting a lie, you know, or, or not the truth. But I won't know that if I don't know the truth. Mm. So I have to know the truth, um, which the Bible says they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. Right. Um, The other thing, though, about the Bible to me that is extremely important. And you've seen this in my just in in talking today of um, the Bible is God's redemptive story.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And Mm -hmm. so if I'm only dealing with the familiar passages, if I'm only dealing with the stuff that you're going to pull out in a sermon series, then the truth is, there's a lot of God's character that I'm not getting. Hmm. because God reveals himself to us in different ways throughout the Bible. And the only reason I can put Jeremiah together with Psalms and the only reason I can put Exodus together with what Peter is writing about or what uh, the writer in Hebrew is writing about or what we see in the gospel is because I read the whole book. Hmm. If I don't read the whole book, then I don't understand how the whole story goes together, right? Right. And so I think that's extremely important. And I think the reason why we have people out today that are prominent and I like to say loud and wrong. And here's the thing. This is the this is the danger, brothers. You can be zealous and wrong. Oh, absolutely. And so when I think about Saul becoming Paul, right? Saul was always religious. Yeah. He knew the law, right? And he was zealous and he was wrong. And so my thing is, is that we have to be very careful that just because people are loud and powerful, that we're going to follow them and assuming that they are right, just because they loud and powerful, because they can still, you know, the, the road to destruction is wide and paid with good intentions, <laughs> right? And so my thing is, I think a lot of the reasons why we don't see the conviction and the repentance that can come, that could actually set us all free, is because people are biblically illiterate. That's what I That's what I believe. I believe that there's a lot of sin happening. There's a lot of lies being perpetuated that we're accepting as true, that we're not repentant of our sin because people don't know the word of God and therefore they're not convicted by the Holy Spirit.
3: Hmm. Well, I couldn't imagine a better <laughs> Pick up advertisement that word, y'all. Pick up to be that word. like, look, go get Journey to Freedom, yes. go get Voices of Lament. <laughs> Final question yeah. here, Natasha. Yeah. What do you... As the people read these two books and they work through these and they're blessed by them yeah. and they speak to their lived situation, what is the hope in this? What are you What are you pointing people towards with the pen? What are yeah. you desiring? What would be your word?
2: Um, pointing with the pen. I like that. Hey, look, yeah. this, she said she was using <laughs> a pen, so I got to do something with it, okay? <laughs> a pastor preacher pointing with the pen. Let's do it. <laughs> What
3: what is your hope? Don't listen to Jamar. What is your hope? <laughs> and, and where are you where are you pointing people to with the pen?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um I mean really Ma- I mean Matthew let your light so shine among, you know, humans that it will see your good work and glorify God in yeah, heaven, right? right? I mean that that's that's the truth like like listen. I don't need nobody out here worshipping me. I don't want to be held accountable right? Like idol worship is is bad in all its forms, right? Don't do it. I mean, you can buy my books because that's important because I need to, I I feel I'm called to write, right? And if I'm going to keep writing the way I do thats that y'all buy these books. So please do that. But understand, um, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay. 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 Like, like, so, you know, really I want um, to point people to Jesus because he is the great liberator of our souls. And I believe that in my own life, um, however, you know, I, I wrote in Sojourner's Truth like that God puts people in our lives to make our tragic lives bearable. I've had a good life and I've had a, a tragic life, hmm. you know, just a life that's been riddled with a lot of grief and suffering. Right. Um, and. What has allowed me to continue on this journey is knowing God, having a relationship with God, but also the people that I'm able to do life with. And so if we have people that are truly following the Lord, then what we we do, what we become for each other is partners and brothers and sisters and agents and friends and uh, respites right and home cooked meals and um deep belly laughs right um and calling out a beauty um we become those things for each other hmm. so that we can get glimmers of the beauty of the kingdom that is to come while we wait
2: wow that's beautiful
3: Natasha Sistrunk Robinson we appreciate you we appreciate your your work Your writing, your story, your labor, all the above. Thank you. bless. Thank you you for joining us here on Pastor Mike. And thank you for blessing the entire church with Voices of Lament and Journey to
1: Freedom. Bless y'all. Thank y'all so much for having me.